All righty, let's turn our Bibles today. Let me see what scripture we're going to start out. We're going to start out with John 1.14. Can I have John, Big John? Uh, that's what some people call it. So we're going to Big John tonight. John 1.14. We're going to talk about some simple things, and I'm just doing them to jot your thinking and your thought life. We're going to talk about how to glorify the devil. You say, oh my word, what a message. Well, if you know how to glorify him, and if you don't want to, then you won't. But if you don't know how to glorify him, you'll probably do it out of habit. So let's look at, and it says, and the word was made flesh. Talking about Jesus Christ, the only begotten son of God. Talking about a revelation of God being unfolded. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word glory there simply means this. Man knew or heard of or had a perspective, a revelation of God by the old covenant. You might say, oh, the old covenant doesn't do God justice. Yes, it does. It gives him full just and full exposure under Scripture. The Bible says that, you know, when we see Jesus, we see the Father. The Father hasn't changed from Genesis to Matthew or from Matthew to Revelations. We know that David wrote 150 Psalms out of the law, out of the law, because he was a man of faith. We know that Abraham had all of his needs met because he was a man of faith. We know he received a son up out of barrenness because he was a man of faith. We know that Samson was anointed of God because he was a man of faith. We understand Gideon had an identity that was uh, unrecorded in the scriptures because he was a man of great value and virtue. So in the old covenant, we see God in his fullness, but we don't recognize it because he needs to be unveiled. So Jesus is what? He is the word made flesh. In other words, he is God personified. Come on, he is God in the flesh. Don't you know that when you see me, you have seen the Father? So when it says that be, we beheld his glory, whose glory are we beholding? God's. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. So God is the Word. And when the Word becomes flesh, it unveils who God is. Right? Okay. So how would we glorify the devil? Jesus comes and glorifies God. In other words, he unveils him. How? By living God's nature and reflecting God's presence or his essence. In other words, he acts just like God would act. Right. Now, if that's true, how do we glorify the devil? We glorify the devil by acting just like the devil. Oh, this might get intense. So, we're going to talk tonight about glorifying the devil. The only way that the devil... Now, we teach about the devil and so forth, but really, you, we never see the devil in his personified way unless you see his offspring. Jesus said, you are of your father, the devil. Now, how was he... How did he know that? He knew them by their fruits. 
And so if we got caught up today and, and thrown in a shanty, which I've been thrown in shanties and in police shanties in other countries, stepping from an airport onto government land, and as soon as I touch a government land, airport authorities lose control and sheriffs take up, and I've been thrown in uh, little bungalows uh, being threatened with this and threatened with that, and thank God I've been delivered. Somebody would show up and know how to talk the language and would have a brother. One time I was thrown into a shanty uh, in Nigeria, and as soon as I stepped off the land, they took me into custody, and uh, the man that was picking me up, uh, his brother was there, and he hadn't seen his brother in 20 years. But his brother was in the military, and the officers had me. There's usually a conflict between military and government police in a nation. So they were arguing about who had jurisdiction. Finally, the man that had seen, found his brother there, got me released just because of political pressure. So, thank God, I got to hold the crusade and thousands were saved. And that was a good thing. But, we glorify the devil when we act or express his nature in us, even though we're believers. Yeah, and it's not strange that we do that. It's just the old Adamic nature that hasn't been crucified or dealt with yet. And we become so accustomed to it and so, uh, how do I want to say, accommodating to it in the church because we don't want to ruffle anybody's feathers that we don't say anything when sin's going on. It's like we are all inherited by the three monkeys. I see no evil. I hear no evil. I speak no evil. Therefore, everybody does evil. I'm fine with that. But we aren't monkeys. Could I get an amen? We are not monkeys. And we are not children of the devil. And we are not just children of our mothers and fathers. Now, let's go to Acts 1, Acts 5, 1 through 5. Acts 5, 1 through 5. So we're talking about how to glorify the devil. Now, Jesus glorified God. He became a light in the darkness. In other words, there had never been an unveiling of God's glory that men could relate to. But Jesus comes, he becomes personable, we see God, we touch him, we handle him. First John 1, 9, 1 through 4. And then we start seeing that men and women can glorify the devil. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, to and bought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? and to keep back part of the price of the land. Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart that thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God? And Ananias, hearing these words, started shouting and praising the Lord. 
he heard these words and he fell down and gave up the ghost and great fear came on all them that heard these things. How did he glorify God? He created a lie. He made a lie. Now we understand by this passage of scripture and by revelations that he that maketh a lie is going to be damned. Why do people make lies? They make lies because of greed. Now, why did Ananias die for keeping back part of the property? The point in case is he made a vow. He made a vow. In other words, he said, I will do this when I sell this or when this is accomplished or when this time comes, when this season comes, I will do this. That's a vow. Now, God still honors vows. We see here, he might be pretty intense about honoring it. I don't know how many people in the New Testament God killed, but this one, he's dead. Now, people make vows today. Now, we shortchange them. We kind of make quick vows. We kind of start vows and then quit them. Now, you might say, well, I've started vows and I haven't finished things. I would encourage you either pick up the vow, finish the vow, or repent of lying to God and get out from under the penalty of the vow because it does bring the curse. And then he that makes a lie. So we understand that lying glorifies the devil. How does it glorify the devil? Well... He convinces you to choose a lie instead of truth. That is the influence of the devil. Now, how in the world do you think you're going to lie to God? He convinces you, oh, God won't do anything. But God does do things when people do wrong things. Amen? Don't, I, I say this all the time, don't take God's long-suffering for God's condoning. It's a matter of time that your sin is going to catch you. Amen? And so, people make vows, people lie. You say, well, I didn't intentionally did it. Well, you need to govern yourself. You need to make sure you're not doing it. Amen? The Bible said if we judge ourselves, we'll not be judged with the world. So we can glorify the devil by making lies. I mean, you know how many people make lies? I mean, I've heard people tell me that, you know, that they go, that they've heard Only Believe Ministries offer up living sacrifices. I said, why don't you come to the church and let us offer you up? <laughs> no, see, it's just foolishness, and people make lies. I remember one time Phyllis took $5 million and ran off to Mexico. I said, are you stupid? I'd have went with her. What is wrong with people? People are so gullible that they almost fall into the category of being lunatics. Now, people make lies. What is a lie? You repeat something that somebody else has told you, and you don't even know if it's true. You can be a part of making a lie. He that maketh a lie is damned. Oh, God knows I did. No, 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 no. It didn't say if you knew it or not. 
Listen, you have to hear the whole story before you can accuse a brother. Amen? Amen? So people are lie makers. There are three, type, three, thing, three people that you can lie to. You can lie to God right there. We saw that. You can lie to God. You can tell God you're going to do something and not do it. Oh, God, I promise I'm going to get up every morning. And you miss it. What are you going to do? You back up and say, God, I'm sorry. I miss it. You know what? I just don't have it in me to get up every morning. I love you, but my want tour is broke. So, God, let's start. How about me getting up every third morning? Do, do something you can do. Don't overload your want tour. Amen? Don't say you're going to do something when you don't know if you're going to do it. Amen? amen. Shoot low. Hallelujah. And amen. Maybe you'll make it. Aim high and maybe you'll hit it. I don't know. But what you don't want to do is make a lie. Second person you can lie to, you can lie to other people. Lie to other people. In other words, don't fudge about stuff. Don't exaggerate about stuff. Don't add to stuff and don't subtract from stuff. It's real simple. But people have this Adamic nature that allows the devil to rule their life, influence their life, and to dominate their life, and to be seen through their life, and they become known as liars. That should never be named among the brethren. The third thing, you can lie to yourself. Quit lying. I'll tell you, the worst thing that you can do is lie to yourself. If you cannot be truthful to yourself, you will never have faith in anybody else. Anybody, you, you won't have faith in God. Why? Because you lie to him, so you know he's going to lie to you. Quit lying to yourself. If you're just, look, I'm lazy. I don't get up and read the Bible. You know, I don't do this. I don't do that. I don't do... Just be honest with yourself. Look in the mirror at who you are. Find out who you are. Embrace who you are. Then change who you are. Amen. Amen. But don't lie to yourself. That is the worst life to live, is to lie to yourself and to think you're right when you're wrong. Come on. Hallelujah. So, let's not make a lie. Let's not put God in a place that he has to take action against a liar. Could I get an amen? Hallelujah. Praise God. You don't want to do something, just tell somebody. I'd like to help you, but I ain't going to. I mean, right, hallelujah. I'm not a wood splitter. I'm not a house painter. I ain't a car helper. I'm a yard man. If you ain't fishing, don't call me. If you ain't hunting, don't call me. And please, if you call me, make sure we're going to catch something and we're going to kill something. Or I'm not returning next time you call. I, I just say, it's not me. You got the wrong number. Hallelujah, okay. Somebody called me, my pipes are froze up. I said, here, I'll give you Randy's number. <laughs> I, I don't want to help you with your pipes. I want you help, but I don't want to do it. I'm being honest with you. Hallelujah. Amen. I'll send Phyllis with something, but I'm not coming. Hallelujah. All right. People glorify God by choosing to believe the evidence that they see 
instead of the promise that God has made. Now we see that in Numbers, the 13th chapter. Let's go to Numbers, the 13th chapter. And I think it's about, I'm going to take a guess, about 23rd verse. Maybe that's it. We all know this story about where they go in. And, uh, okay, and it says this. And they came into the brook Eshkol and cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes. And they bear it between two upon a staff. And they brought, brought of the pomegranate and of the figs. And the place was called the brook of Eshcol because of the cluster of grapes which the children of Israel cut down from thence. And they returned from searching of the land after 40 days. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all of the congregation of the children of Israel unto the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh and brought back word unto them and unto all of the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We came into the land whither thou sendest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey. This is a fruit of it. Nevertheless, watch those neverthelesses. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great, and moreover, we saw the children of the Anak there. Now, let's stop. Go back to that verse. I want you to notice something. And it says, and the people be strong that dwell in the land. Number one, that is a presumptuous lie. They had only been to the first city. They're lying about everybody else in the city. They're lying about everybody else in the countryside because they haven't seen them. And then it says, and all the cities are walled. What cities did you see greatly walled in the cities except the wall of Jericho? Absolutely. Now let's go to the next verse. And the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites, and the Walpalkanites, and the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea, and the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against this people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants. Now the land is eating people up. You know, these people are, they've been smoking stuff off the fig tree. I'm just telling you, this is weird stuff. And the land eateth up the inhabitants thereof. The, inhab- the land eats the inhabitants, and there shouldn't be none left. But what a story. Boy, this sounds like one of my father-in-law's old stories. And it says thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And we saw giants and the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so were we in their sight. Do you think that those giants saw those men? No, didn't see them at all. Didn't see them at all. Here's another lie based out of evidence. And then it says, next verse, 
And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and against the whole congregation said unto them, Would to God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in the wilderness? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land? Now notice, now comes the accusations a lying accusation against a, fall in, against a faithful God. The Lord hath brought us to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey. Weren't they before God redeemed them? So it couldn't have been God's will. And it says to pray for them. And they said one to another, let us make... Oops, I think you jumped way ahead there. There you there, go back, go back, brought us, okay, fall. And we are not we better if we return into Egypt. Now, all of this is visible evidence and is presumptuous statements. Half of what they said was not even true, Steve. The land ate them up. How did they get back? Then how did they see the giants that the land already ate up? And how could they see giants everywhere when there was only the seven sons of giants, Goliath and his six brothers? How did they see all this? Only in their imagination. What, how did they glorify the devil? They glorified the devil by allowing him to make them who he wanted them to be. First they said, we were grasshoppers in our eyes. And surely in their eyes, they never saw them people. Not at all. Or they would have killed them. They didn't see them. But in their vain imaginations, they concocted this world of land-eating people filled with giants. And every city has great walls. So they said, we are grasshoppers. And then they thought those men seen them hopping across the grass. They didn't see them at all. But what did they choose? How did they glorify the devil? They chose evidence over promise. And any time that we choose sight, our circumstances, our situations, over the promise, we're going to glorify the devil. Know this. You can't believe what you see because what you see is always changing. Amen. Isn't that the truth? It's always changing. Amen. What if you could see your wife now when you married her? Pay attention, Philip. Would you have still married her? Yes. Yeah, that was the right answer. <clears throat> How many of you women would have married the husband that you now have if you could have saw him 60 pounds heavier? No women hands going up. Absolutely. Would you have married that shiny head? When you married him, he had gridlocks down to his back. Long, flowing hair, shining, gleaming. What is it? Yeah, Fabio. What, what if you married Fabio and you got on your honeymoon and he pulled off a wig? You'd be disappointed. Well... You have, cannot be moved by evidence. You're going to have to be moved by promise. Amen? Amen. Now, 
So many of us give glory to the devil because we're constantly influenced by what we see mm. instead of by what God says. Mm. Amen. Amen? That's not good, folks. That gives glory to the devil. In other words, it reveals to you and I that the devil is far more the manipulator and the discourager than God is the convincer and the encourager. Who has more influence over our life? Circumstances or the promise? Amen? And so when we glorify the devil, we simply say that he has more access to us than God has roots in us. So we need to stop. Amen? All right. So then we go to Matthew 5.23. Matthew 5.23. Satan is glorified when we as believers do not repair offenses, differences, and wrongs. It says, therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest thy brother hath ought against thee, leave thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled unto thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Now, if your life is being hindered, your prayer life is being hindered, you feel like you can't get answers from heaven, you feel like you just can't get around the presence of God, it may be that you have not reconciled with your brother. Amen? Well, they offended me. Okay, well, that's, that's all right. But is, if he has offense against you, go make it right. Go make it right. If you don't make it right, understand that your altars are not going to be a place of visitation. They're going to be a place of hindrance. And sometimes we glorify the devil by holding on to our offenses. Holding on to our offenses, not being able to forgive people, not being able to move beyond an offense. Folks, sometimes offenses happen, and it doesn't matter why they happen. If you keep them alive, they'll hinder you more than they'll help you. <clears throat> so we have to stop glorifying the devil, deal with offense. But it's not right. Well, Christianity never said that it was right, love your enemies doesn't say anything that it's right in our eyes. Amen. It's right in God's eyes. Amen. Amen. And that's who we serve. Amen. We don't serve ourselves. We serve God. Amen. So if you have offenses, deal with them. I've found people that have been offended at me for years. And I haven't seen them for 10 years. And I wrote them letters and told them, said, you know, I found out that you had an offense or that you were offended at me and you thought I did this and did that. Say, look, you know what, let's get together and talk and, uh, you know, whenever at your convenience. And please, forgive me right now, but let's not stay divided and give the devil power over our lives. Amen. Amen. We, look, folks, it's not worth it. Amen. And everybody is going to run into situations like that because we all go through seasons. You know, we go through seasons where nobody wants to be around anybody. We, Phyllis and I look at it, Nick. you're in the kitty cat, Nick. watch out, you reach out to me, I'll scratch you and draw blood. So, look, everybody goes through those situations, goes through those seasons, but what you don't want to do is get offended or to create an offense that you're going to have to rectify. 
And if you do, get it taken care of. Amen? It's not worth giving the devil a place in your life. All right. So then we want to talk about glorifying the devil. In, let's go to Exodus, the 16th chapter, verse 1 through 5. Man, I found a penny. Did you put this in the offering so I wouldn't be stealing God's money? Or does anybody know whose penny that is? I'd rather steal from you than God. No, here, no, you better put that in there. All right, Exodus 16, 1 through 5 says this. And they took their journey from Elam, and all of the congregation of the children of Israel came into the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, for the 14th day of the second month after their departing out of the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation, somebody say the whole congregation. The whole congregation, not without talking. Let, let's, let's get that. Nobody gets the same mind unless somebody else is feeding it. Amen. Come on, could I get an amen? Everybody just don't show up at the coup and overthrow the government. So we understand these people been talking behind the scenes. And it says the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses. Why do you think they knew what to murmur about? Somebody been stirred them up. And Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. Now who in the world thinks that God's saving them or just wanting to kill them? Who would come out of Egypt if you thought God wanted to kill you? It'd be hard enough to hide from Egypt. Didn't the death of the firstborn prove that? You couldn't hide from God. But these guys say, would be to God we had died in the land of Egypt. And when we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full, for we have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread down from heaven. It shall be baked and it shall be hard. Encourage the people to get under it and try to catch it. I'm kidding you. Down from heaven and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or not. And it shall come to pass that on the sixth day they shall prepare that which they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Now, what did they do? Murmuring in the time of need glorifies the devil. I know we don't do that, but these people here, I just cannot just believe that just because the need rose up, they started saying... God, where are you? God's trying to kill us. Moses, you should have let us die in the wilderness. If I'd have been Moses, I'd have poured out the sword and said, let the Lord begin here. But I'm not, and he wasn't. But Aaron and Moses heard this murmuring. When we murmur when we face needs, I'm just telling you, you're glorifying the devil, and you're not living by faith. Oh, but honey, I... I Phil sometimes says, but honey, I'm just talking to you. I say, I know it. The devil's here and God's here. Go ahead and spill out your gut. I know you're not murmuring. I said, we're talking. Lovely honey, hallelujah. (laughs) Would be that God had slain you in Egypt. Hallelujah. Now, no, she's not that old. And, uh, but you think 
about these people. As soon as need came up, they started murmuring, started complaining. Do we do that? Or do we take what God has given us, the laws of the spirit of life that set us free from the laws of sin and death? Laws of sin and death are need, poverty, lack, want. But God has given us the law of sowing and reaping. Amen. Amen. Please know, know this, folks. There is no place that you cannot sow a seed and reap a harvest. It, it's just not possible. Unless you don't mix faith with it and stand patiently to see it come to pass. Amen. And so if you'll sow and stand and wait patiently, God will bring it to pass. There's no need that you face that God has not already pre-met. Just stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Don't be moved by what you see. Be moved by what God has proclaimed in your life. So when we murmur and complain in the midst of need or say, well, we don't know how we're going to do it. I don't know how it's going to come to pass. Yes, you do. God. It's God. God's going to do it. Amen? Amen. All right. Now, let's go to Exodus. I'm, uh, yeah, let's go to, no, let's not go to Exodus again. We've already been there. Let's go to uh, 1 Timothy 4.1. I think we'll wrap up with this one. 1 Timothy 4.1. So we don't want to complain or murmur in the time of need. Amen? Amen? The Bible says that when they got thirsty, they chided. Mm. They tempted the Lord. And they tempted him like this, saying, you brought us out here to have us die. You know, when you tell or accuse God of not doing his part, you tempt him by instituting or trying to stir him to action towards you. That is not blessing. You don't want to do that. Amen? Let's not tempt God. God is not the problem uh, bringer. He is the problem answer. Amen. All right. Then it says in 1 Timothy 4, 1. Now the Spirit speak expressingly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. Let's stop right there. You glorify the devil every time we abort faith in any way, shape, or form. Secondly, we glorify the devil when we backslide. Backsliders, what are you trying to do? Get even with who? I don't want to serve God. Well, okay, so let me see. God saved you. God blessed you. He crowned you with goodness and mercy. He called you a son or a daughter. He has written your name in the land book of life. He's going to take you to heaven. You're going to live there forever. He's guaranteed you no weapon formed against you will prosper. He said the goodness of the Lord is going to come. He sent his son to give you abundant life. And you want to backslide. Because you'd rather run around with the devil than God. And you think you don't glorify the devil by backsliding? Every time we abort faith. We are rejecting God's provision. We don't want to do that. Amen? We want to glorify God. We don't want to give the devil expression and withdraw from God. So, then it goes on, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Next verse. Speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Forbidding to marry, 
commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. And every creature of God is good, and nothing is be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and power. Now these things are going to come up on the earth. We as Christians don't want to allow those things to happen. Because if we do, we're going to glorify God. Departing from the faith, giving heed to doctrines of devils and so forth. We want to live. I have been accused of being a fundamentalist. I am. I'm fundamental. I'm fundamentally sold out to God, to holiness, to righteousness, and to faith. I don't think I need anything new. I don't have to dream up anything new. I don't have to conjure up new plans and new purposes. I don't have to figure out what is going on in every realm of the world. All I have to do is live by faith. And I'm going to be an overcomer. Could I get an amen? I don't have to fly over the land with a bottle of oil and a helicopter casting out demons. I just cast them out when they come in contact with me. I've never seen a community changed by such shenanigans. But these are new doctrines that rise up. They aren't in the Bible. No place in the Bible. They're just born out of the imagination of men. And so we take things, we add to things, and we embellish things until they become a doctrine or some spiritual movement. You don't need to move any spiritual movement except the basics of the doctrines of the gospel. Amen. That's all we have to do. That will make you an overcomer. Amen? Now you say, well, why isn't revival coming in our land? Because the church isn't awakened to it. The church is not doing her part. If the church will get up, go out, and witness to one person a week, the church will explode in growth. But the church would rather sat on a pew, sit on a pew, do everything except what God told us to do. What did he tell us to do? Go ye in all the world and do what? Preach the gospel. Jesus. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Amen? There are no immediate resolves to church growth or to revival, except that the weary rear-ended get up and go. I'm just telling you the truth, folks. We are sitting around waiting for revival, and it's not coming. The key has been given. Go ye into all the world. If you're not going, it's not coming. Amen? Now, we as a church should get up and go. We meet people every day. We know people that are backslidden. The Bible says if you see your brother sin of sin, go after that brother. How many Christians does this congregation right now know of people that have sinned and separated themselves from God? Let me tell you. More than are here on Sunday attendance. Now the next question is this. Have we glorified the devil by being idle and doing nothing? Or have we been about our father's business? 
We glorify the devil by being idle and doing nothing. We can blame it on the world's gone crazy. No, the church has gone lazy. No, no, the, no, no. The, the craziness of the world cannot stop salvation. The craziness of the world cannot stop revival. There's only one thing that stops revival. Point at me. Go ahead, everybody just point at me. Now, there's four fingers pointing at you. Yep. We are all to blame, but none of it lies in the power of the devil. None of it lies in some mystic operation. None of it lies in anything except the church going and telling. Hell is enlarged because we do nothing. People are crying out today because we've said nothing. People are crying out today because we went nowhere. I'm telling you, you're saved today, Dr. Obalu, because somebody witnessed to you, told you about Jesus, or took you to church. I am here today. I was backslid. And a guy came to my house and was witnessing to my wife, and I thought, you know, what an idiot. She said, well, this guy is just an idiot. And he said, I'd like to pray for you. Can I pray for the family? And they held my hands, and I thought, what a waste of time. And he started prophesying to me. He started prophesying to me, and me a sinner. When he left, I thought, what was that stupid gibberish about? Well, right here is what it's about. But thank God he came. I had a Jehovah Witness come to my office, and a guy in our church brought him and said, Pastor, can you talk to him about Jesus? In other words, reconvert him to Jehovah Witnessism. So I said, why are you saved? He said this, because when I was going through trouble, you never came, and they did. His wife attends our church. His daughter ended up getting involved in a cult. Thank God she's been rescued out of that cult and an abusive marriage. That man sat in my office and told me why he was headed for hell and involved in a cult. Because you Christians never come when I needed help. They did. Don't tell me you love me. Pretty harsh indictment. Very harsh indictment. Coming across a desk and a prisoner sitting there. And I said, you know, I'm sorry. But I do encourage you to continue your studies in the Bible because Jesus is there. And he is the Savior of the world. He is the only begotten Son of God. He said, I, I, I will continue my studies. And I will continue my evangelistic work for Jehovah Witness Kingdom. He never got converted. He was already gone. Why? Because somebody loved him more than the church. That's why. No matter what you did, you could never rescue him 
from that love because when people love you, it never fails. He was a convert because of love's action. Love never fails. It's dragging him to an eternity without God. I expect everybody in here, including myself, to tell somebody about Jesus Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And hopefully mug them, wrap them up with furnace tape, and bring them to church Sunday. This, these shenanigans, these lazy actions of the kingdom have got to stop. If you think God is going to sweep over Ohio in some mist, and everybody's going to get slain in the Holy Ghost and come to church, you're wrong. You're wrong. You can bind every devil. You can do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. People will not get saved except they hear. And how can they hear except somebody comes and preaches? Could I get an amen? So let's get up out of where we are and go find people. Let's not glorify the devil anymore. Let's quit giving the devil credit for our laziness. That's like somebody saying, the devil flattened my tire, and you look at it, and it's bald. The devil didn't flatten your tire, bud. You're just too lazy to buy a new one. Amen? All right, so let's get about it. Let's quit glorifying the devil. Let's start glorifying God. Stand your feet. Hallelujah. Sunday morning. Hallelujah. I got a word from God. I've been studying it all week, and I'm excited. Hallelujah.